Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. All right, you can go ahead and grab your seats. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. We've made it here this morning with, you know, COVID spiking and Christmas on its way and all the things that come along with it. You're here this morning and uh, just grateful to be together, grateful to sing together. Um, Just a couple quick reminders as we uh, enter into this week. Uh, This Friday, Christmas Eve, we will be gathering uh, as one body over at the West and at 5 p.m. There's parking there. Um, We'd love for you to join us, invite friends and family to come together. Uh, It's just such a uh, a high moment of the year for us as a church family um, to remember the incarnation, to worship Jesus. And then we end uh, coming out, spilling out into the street around, well, not into the street, but in the little corridor here, (laughs) Um, uh, around the Christmas tree, we sing Silent Night together. So really excited about that. Um, Another thing is next Sunday, you're like, well, what do we do, uh, you know, the day after Christmas? We actually are going to have one gathering here at 10 a.m. And so come in your pajamas, as uh, the team has been saying. I'm not sure about that yet, but uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, And then uh, just, it's just been, I just want to say it's been a really sweet Advent season together. Um, We've had this beautiful installation. Thank you for bringing food. We've been bringing food every week into Robinwood, going uh, door to door, and the Lord's opened up some incredible relationships there with the Robinwood team. Um, You have been generous with giving to uh, help build a church and a well in India. So thank you for that. You can still give through our global missions through the end of the year. Um, And uh, we are just uh, excited this morning to continue our series called Return to the Feast. Uh, We're following along with the daily, uh, which is a a discipleship resource that we have as a church. Uh, Wonderful men and women contribute to that. You can sign up for that on long portion of scripture and questions to walk through uh, with your family, with you in solitude with the Lord. And we're following through this Advent season the common lectionary, which for centuries has been uh, a series of passages of scripture that our brothers and sisters in Christ across the planet, across denominations have used. And this morning we're going to look at one of our readings, one of the common lectionary readings from this last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, it'll be on the screen behind me here. I'd love to like to read it to us and then pray and then we'll dive in together uh, this morning. Sound good? With me, please open up your Bibles, bring them with you, get them on your phone, take notes as we go here. Um, we believe that you're here for a purpose where, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you've been walking with Christ for years or this is the first time maybe you're hearing about the gospel. Um, we expect and we want you to come fully prepared, fully present here um, as we grow in Christ together, as we're transformed by the gospel. If I speak in tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have moved mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Love is patient and kind, and love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For we now see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, many of us are familiar with this passage. We've heard it read. We've read it ourselves. And we're praying that over these next few minutes that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth of this passage to us. And we're here, Lord, not to have our ears tickled, And we're here not to play church. And we're here, Lord, not to dance around the fluff of a season. But we are here to be before you, the living God. And we're asking that your power would reverberate through us, would convict us in the ways that we need to be convicted, that you would comfort us for those who need to be comforted. And, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in greater measures and you would change our lives. It's our desire, Jesus, that our lives would reflect you more. Lord, not just here on a Sunday, but with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. Lord, we long to be the kind of people that reflect the truth that is in this passage. And we thank you for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you felt it in this last season or maybe even over the last couple of years, but, but there I have just noticed, um, and as I've talked with others, there's just an edge to our culture right now. People are just on a little bit of an edge, and for a lot of valid reasons. Um, it seems like so many things that have been maybe were pushed down under the surface for years uh, with the many things that have happened over the last couple years and the pandemic itself being one of the biggest things that has exposed sort of uh, a lot of this edge, a lot of the angst, it's come to light. I mean, I think I've been cut off in traffic more in the last two years, anybody with me here, than I have like in my entire life. You know, I think I've had more mean looks and attitudes given to me in lines in stores than I have in my entire life. Um, There is ruthless judgment at play in our culture. I mean, just look at cancel culture. There's a general lack of mercy and empathy. There's like oftentimes no grace. There's accusations. Um, There's ongoing conditional acceptance of people only if you mark all these categories, only if you check all these boxes, will I take time to talk to you, to see you, to love you. There's little civil debate. There's little listening. There's little understanding. 
Uh, there's severe political divides, like news to you all. There's p- conspiracy theories all over the place, whatever you are, whether you're more progressive or more conservative, okay? Uh, there's cultural dis- divides, whether you wear a mask or no mask, whether you are for the vaccine or not for the vaccine. There's anger, there's short fuses. And, and the world we live in has and continues to live in this trauma. And there is just division all over the place. And I'm not trying to be negative this morning, but I just want to acknowledge this and say like, this has been a really hard season where these things are at play, a culture that is deeply divided. And the background of 1 Corinthians, as many of you know, in the church here in Corinth, is the church, Corinth, is deeply divided, okay? Uh, in, in, in chapter six of 1 Corinthians, they're divided legally. They're, they're having lawsuits with one another. Uh, chapter 5 and 6, sexually, they're, they're sleeping with one another. There's all kinds of division uh, and, and per, uh, promiscuity happening in this church. Um, communally, chapter 11, they're eating before one another. Okay, there's all kinds of problems that are happening. They're underappreciating the diversity in the body. They're obsessed with their differing abilities and gifts. That's all of chapter 12. And in fact, the beginning of this book, Paul in chapter 3 kind of begins by saying, look, there are divisions among you. The foundation of this church is divided. And at the end of chapter 12 here, it's like Paul pauses. And, and, he, and he's, you can almost imagine looking out at his brothers and sisters. They're, they're on his mind as he's writing to them. And he says to them, I want to show you a better way. <laughs> I want to show you something better. In in the Greek, it's, I want to show you, this is what he he, uh, says here um, at the beginning of, uh, at the end of verse 12, I will show you a still more excellent way. In the Greek, it's sort of a a throwing beyond other things, a super eminence of something. Something that he's about to share is he wants to bring clarity and focus to this one thing. And he devotes this entire chapter to describing this ultimate thing that the people of Corinth, and I would argue that we, in our cultural moment, are so desperately starving for. What is that word? Love. We live in a love-starved world right now. And we think about our series, Returning to the Feast. One of the things that we are returning to, to feast upon, is love And we inhabit this love-starved world. And in this passage, what we learn are three really simple things. What love is not, what love is, and then how love is made manifest in the world. What love is not, what love is, and how love is made manifest in the world. Love is the message this morning. And my prayer for those of us who claim the name of Jesus in this room, and I'm not assuming everybody does, is that this would convict us to the core, because it's been doing that in my own life this last week. So first, verse one through three, let's look at what love is not. Uh, The English language has a problem with this word love, because it has a plethora of denotations and connotations. We describe love uh, by the food that we eat, We love our food. Uh, We describe our romantic relationships by this word. Uh, We speak it to our brother or our friends. Uh, We also speak it to our dog or our favorite football team or even our favorite ice cream. We use this word love to describe all of these things. 
And scripture has at least four, probably more like seven words that translate into the English word love. There's, as you may be familiar, this is eros love, which is like romantic love. Uh, there's storge, which is a fam- familial kind of love. There's philia, which is like a brotherly kind of love. And this passage the, in the Greek, the word for love is agape. It's agape. And so the question is, what is agape? And Paul really starts his definition of love here in an interesting way. He actually starts by what it isn't. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Some people say that love, are, love is words, okay? Love is words. Some people would reduce love to words, okay? Uh, a number of years ago, I had a friend uh, who had season tickets to uh, an NFL team, and he always did tailgates. And he claimed the name of Jesus, and he loved his tailgates. And another friend of mine and his dad, who his dad would not name the name of Jesus, uh, was going to that game. And they, he saw his friend, and so he walks up to the tailgate, and his dad, his, the, the guy's dad knows these are supposed to all be Christians here, <laughs> okay? And so he goes up, and the dad and the son kind of pick up some chip, bag of chips off of the tailgate party. And the guy who's running the tailgate party comes up and snatches the bag out of their hands. Like, you're not welcome here to eat these chips. <laughs> so as they're leaving the party, the, the dad wants to compliment the, the, the guy who's throwing the tailgate party. He says, man, I really like your chuck, truck. He goes, it's not my truck. It's Jesus' truck. It's like they're walking away from the tailgate. They're like, what was he talking about? Like he snatched, snatched chips out of my hand, and then he's talking about this is Jesus' truck. I have no clue what's going on here. There was no sense happening in that moment, and yet all the words and the language around it were riddled with religious language around love. Scripture says right here, religious language without love, it's just, it's just white noise. It's just noise. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Okay? Some people say, well, okay, we know love isn't just words. It's more than words. It can be words, but it's more than words. Some people might say it's a demonstration of religious power. So if somebody's really charismatic or really gifted with speaking or, or really, you know, uh, you know, just a, a really great minister, do you know what the... Paul's saying here, religious power without love, it renders a person nothing. And all we have to do over the last couple of years is look to some unfortunate and tragic examples in the church of this. If I say Ravi Zacharias, you understand a man who was incredibly powerful as a minister of the gospel, and it doesn't negate that God had used him over those years. And yet, this is Paul's point. It reduces things to nothing. Verse 3, so, so, so love is not just words, it's not just religious power. Verse 3, if I give away all and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now this is really interesting because we would probably say in our culture, well, love certainly, it's not just, don't just tell me that you love me, show me that you love me. But here actually, listen to what Paul says here, even action without love is, is, mere, is, is frivolous uh, meritocracy. Religious piety without love, it's a chasing of the wind. You can actually do all of the right things with your behavior on the outside. 
And everybody on the outside might say, wow, he just gave his life for Jesus, was burned at the stake. And Paul says, without love, it, is, it gains you nothing. So the prevailing culture says, don't tell me words, show me power action. But the Bible actually takes it further and says, yes, words unto themselves aren't love, but even power and actions are not in themselves a definition of agape. Agape, according to the scripture, is actually something more than words and more than power and more than actions. And here we're wading out of shallow waters. We're wading into something much deeper. So what is agape love? And this is our second observation in verse 4 through 8. First, what love is not. It's not just or power or actions. What is love then? What love is? Verse 4. Paul says, thanks so much. I'm glad you asked that question. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What is happening here? What, I mean, what is, what is Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit penning? What is he saying love is? Pay attention here. He, in, all, in, in these verses, verses 4 through 8, he doesn't describe words, power, or action, these exterior expressions, but rather he describes love through a series of inherent qualities, things that are at play on the interior life, in the heart, things that aren't so easily decipherable just on the surface. Things that when injected into or motivating words or power or deeds actually do become powerful expressions of love. And so word and power and deeds become vehicles, as it were, that manifest love in the world. And so just, just think about how genius this is, because this is what we all long for. Okay? He resists, the Bible resists defining love as an actual thing, but rather as many things that can be expressions of love, but it depends on the place out of which they were born. And isn't Paul right here just recapitulating what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, what, what is part of Jesus' main point on the Sermon on the Mount? That which starts in the heart will manifest. Don't just go after the outside of the cup. Don't just go after the external behaviors. Jesus says, identify and understand what is actually going on on the interior life. What is happening on the inside? And it will, no doubt, manifest in one way or another. So you can offer a smile, the opening of a door, a kind word, but what makes it an act of love is the place from where that smile or word or opening of the door is born. Did it emerge from a posture of kindness, Paul says? You can surrender your body to the flames pridefully, or you can surrender your body to the flames with a posture of humility. One act is utterly, it's an act of love. And one act is only loving oneself. Over 200 times in the New Testament, this word agape is used. 
In the Greek culture, it was actually uh, at play in the prevailing culture. It was just general empathy for all people. But, but the, the writers of the New Testament, they take this word and they actually reimagine it and redefine it. They take it further. They reframe it as something rooted in the very personhood of God. So 1 John 4.16 and 1 John 4.8 reiterate the same thing. God is love. God is love. So we're rooting the motivation of the heart in the personhood and the work of who God himself is. Therefore, love, we might say, is an inherent motivation that manifests itself in the benefit of the other. Okay, just read verse 7. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I mean, anybody living like that right now? (laughs) This is Jesus' words definition in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, so here's my definition of love. Okay, there's many definitions of love. Let me, let me tell, tell you as I've been meditating on this passage. Love is the inclination of the heart that manifests in the active pursuit of that which most benefits the person in your path. Something that starts in the heart, And it manifests or it gives expression through words or power or deeds in the pursuit of that which most benefits the person in your path. And of course, all this is rooted and according to the scripture. C.S. Lewis says it this way, something selfless, love is something selfless that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. Karl Barth says it this way, agape identifies with the interests of the neighbor in utter independence of the question of his attractiveness and with no expectation of reciprocity. I mean, that, that is where you start to get into this definition of agape love. You're pouring out to somebody, and guess what? They have nothing and no intent to pay you back. In fact, they might actually pay you back with harm in some way, shape, or form. So there actually is a deep hierarchy of agape. Agape is you above me, you before me, you over me your interest over mine in each moment, in each situation, the people in front of you asking the Lord to give you a vision and let him motivate your heart towards what is the most loving act for this person in my path right here, right now. Whether I know their name or not, whether I'm friends with them or not, whether they are my enemy or not. Now, Just return with me to our cultural moment, because it's not just that angst is out there, it's actually in here. It's actually in here, okay? I found myself in line at a store yesterday as I'm preparing this great sermon on love. And here I am, and I go up, and it wasn't really clear in this store where the line forms. Anybody had this situation? You're like, oh, this is so frustrating, because I just want to get in line to get what I need to buy, but I'm not sure. And somebody, it was like I was on the other side of, like, a counter, and the person came up, and they didn't see me in line, and so the person behind the counter said, hey, uh, can I help you? And the woman stepped up and said, absolutely, you can. And instead in that moment of me saying, who cares? <laughs> what is best for her? That she, I want to put her in front of me. Instead, do you know what my impulse was? Well, I've actually been waiting here for five minutes. <laughs> I said that out loud. I said that to her, and I was totally convicted right to the core. <laughs> like, who cares? But all I could think about in that moment was my right, what was best for me. I had been waiting I needed to get my thing. And here is a stranger 
who just walks up, has no clue I'm there. I mean, it's not even like she was trying to cut in front of me. She was just thought she was in the right line. Insecurity, pain, divisions, accusations, cancel culture, no mercy, no grace, no listening, no understanding, no empathy, ruthless judgment, conditional acceptance. What if at this point in the midst of this pandemic, as the world falls into greater fatigue and fear and sadness, there was a movement of people who manifested something different? Something different than I did yesterday. What if there was a people who said, whether I agree or disagree with you politically, whether I think COVID is a scam or a real thing, whether I've been vaccinated or not, whether I wear a mask or not, whether, I'm, uh, whether or not I am going to love you and seek to benefit you above myself. Okay, let me just press in a little harder here and make us all uncomfortable in this moment, okay? What if the person who is so deeply dedicated to getting vaccinated when confronted with someone who is not willing to get vaccinated, had a posture and attitude towards them, that was, and let me just read it through the frame of this scripture, they were patient with them, they were kind to them, they were not arrogant to them, they were not rude to them, they, were not, they did not insist on his or her own way to them, they were not irritated, they were not resentful, they bore with them, they endured with them, okay? What if that happened? And, and, and let me just flip the script here. What if the person who was so convinced to not getting vaccinated, when confronted with someone who is fully vaccinated, believes that everyone ought to get vaccinated, has a posture, an attitude towards them that was, again, let me run through the scripture here, patient towards them and kind and not arrogant and not rude and not insisting on his or her own way and not irritated and not resentful and bears with them, and endures with them. You know, one of the things that I love about the last part, the, the, the first part of verse 8 here, where it says, love never ends. Do you know what the, in, in the Greek language that means? It, love never alights, or love never gets off the train, is another way to say it. It doesn't, it doesn't disembark when the train stops. It says, we are on this train together. For whatever reason, we're on this train together. If we're just in physical space together, or we're in the same company, or we're in the same church, or we're in the same neighborhood, we are on some kind of a train together. And you know what? I am going to love you no matter what. I'm not going to get off this train. You can slander me. You can get angry with me. You can curse me out. You can judge me. You can cancel me. I will not return. I will not do that in return. I will pour out before you. I will lay my life down for you. I will sacrifice. I will seek your benefit and your well-being above mine in this moment. That's what love is. Do you know why people act out towards you, say hurtful things to you, cut you off in traffic, curse you out, make passive-aggressive comments, fight for their best, act crazy? Do you know why we all do this kind of thing? Because we're starving for love. We are desperate for love. We are desperate for unconditional acceptance, for someone to see us and hear us and sit with us and look us in the eye and say, I don't, I don't even agree with everything about you, but I am going to love you. They are starving. The world is starving for someone to come and to manifest through words or through power or through action. Something that says and is motivated from this deep resource, I see you, I hear you, I want to know you, I am for you, I love you. I have unconditional favor towards you regardless of how you treat me. 
I will not cancel you. I will not slander you. If you cut one side of my heart, I will turn the other to you. This is what Paul's describing in this passage. It is radical. It is radically different than the rhythm of the world we find ourselves in now. Is this your posture? Do you love like this? I certainly don't. Is the inclination of your heart manifesting in the active pursuit of that which most benefits the person in your path the most? Recently, I was at this event, and I knew that at this event, I was going to see somebody who had really hurt me. And the last thing I wanted to do was to talk to them. And so I sort of had my guard up. I'm just, you know, just being honest with you all here. Have you ever had this experience? I see a lot of nods. The last thing I wanted to do was love them. In fact, the the thing I wanted to do most was sort of exercise a little vengeance against them and intentionally not talk to them. This This is the depth of the stuff that's in my heart. Is it in yours? Paul says in verse 12, we see in the mirror dimly only in part how we struggle to love. How can what's on the pages of this scripture through and through and potent here in this chapter, how can that mark our lives? And this leads us in closing to the last movement of this passage, how love is made manifest in the world. Do you know why this passage is so uh, special and so celebrated It's so well-known? at it like every marriage ceremony, which it is totally out of context in most, <laughs> most of the time. Like it's not talking about, I mean, it is certainly it has a lot to do with marriage, but it's not like about marriage in itself. <clears throat> because it's poetic, yes. But it is almost as if Paul is describing love. He's not just describing words. He's not just describing actions. He's actually saying something altogether different. It's as if he's saying to the Corinthians and to us, you are starving for love. And here's a vision of this agape, but you can actually never achieve it on your own. Because what he has been describing this entire time is not something that actually you can do on your own merit or your own strength, but something that has been done for you. Paul is personifying this word love the entire time. And he, and in this, there's a distinction between the prevailing culture that defines love and how a Christian defines love. Love is not something, according to the scripture, but someone. Love is a person. Love is not something that first we do. Love is what a person first has done for us. Love is not generated within us. It's actually an external alien resource that is placed in us. And let me just read us a few verses here that summarizes this and expounds on this. 1 John 4, 9, 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest. How does the love of God, how is the love of God made manifest? You would think he might say, through actions, through words, through deeds. No, he says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propiti- the propitiation for our sins. In all of our inability to love, in all of our sin against 
fellow human beings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we hold fast to this core truth that God manifested love by sending his son to die for us. And if you think about the definition of love, we benefited God nothing in that equation. He benefited us everything. He looked at us, he loved us, he saw our state, and he said, I'm going to pour myself out for them through the cross. Romans 5, 7 through 8, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the ordering. This is how love is made manifest in the world. We don't muster it up. It musters us up. Love is not something that we happen to do. It's something that happens to us. Love is that which has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and it is out of the overflow of that love is a love that germinates in our hearts and and starts to play out and manifests through our words and through our actions and through our power. And so here I am in this moment at this event and I'm thinking to myself, the last thing I want to do is go talk to this person. And the Spirit of God is just convicting my heart. It's like, Joey, you are loved. You are loved to the core. Nothing is held against you. You are perfectly forgiven because of the cross. You are adequately loved. There is nothing in this world that has a claim on you. I have loved you. I have secured you. I have showed unconditional favor to you. So go. And I went and I gave this person a hug and it was so awkward. <laughs> but it was like the best conversation. And, and, and it was a little awkward and there were some probably unhelpful things that this person said to me in the moment that was hard to hear. Okay, because I was living and dwelling in the love of Christ. I want to invite the musicians to come forward. And I just want to leave us with a few questions here because to the extent that we experience the the lavish love of God in our lives is the extent to which we will be able to manifest it and extend it in the world. And that is God's work through his spirit in us. So would you just look at me here for a second? Are you living in, are you experiencing the deep love of God this morning? Do you know that he looks upon you and he doesn't look upon your sin? He sees you as his son. He sees you as his daughter. And he has unconditional favor towards you. That is the gospel, my friends. Not that you have done anything for God, but that he has done everything for you. And to the extent that that love wells up in your heart, in my heart, is the extent to which the watching world will experience the love of God as manifested through our lives as we look out to the people that are in our paths, as we have interactions day by day, danger, and our spouse, and our best friends, and our children, And we manifest the love of God towards them, rooted in the love that has been poured out to us. Let's pray.
Lord, the, the world is love-starved. But here you give us a vision and a foundation out of which we are able to both receive love and manifest love, offer love to the world. And none of us are adequate. None of us are worthy of that. And this morning, my prayer is for each of my brothers and sisters in this room that your love would pour out, that your Holy Spirit would pour out the love of God as demonstrated through the cross, a sacrificial love that took our sin, all of our insecurities, all the reasons we have to be divided and defensive. And you have loved us, not because of anything that we have done. And our past and our present and our future sins are forgiven in Christ. And so we rejoice in that this morning and pray that that would fuel, that compels us to be a people who would love radically. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.